universe is built on laws. There's laws of the universe. There's laws of science. And I looked up a few of them. My wife is a science teacher, and I was going to get her to come up here to tell you a little bit about them, but she, uh, she firmly told me that she would not do it. I'm just kidding. Here's some uh, laws that the universe is built on. Here's, some, here's a physical science law. Newton's first law of motion. An object at rest remains to stay at rest. That sounds like your husband, right? Okay. An object at rest remains at rest, and an object in motion remains in motion at constant speed and in a straight line unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. Here's a chemistry law, a gas law. Again, it's not about your husband. Gas law. Gases are the only state of matter that can be compressed very tightly or expanded to fill a very large space. These are laws that have been proven that nobody can dispute. There are laws that are in place. Here's the, law of, the first law of thermodynamics. So the change in internal in energy is a closed system, is accounted for entirely by the heat absorbed by that system and the work done by that system. I don't have a clue what those words mean, but it's a law of thermodynamics. It's true. These things have been proven. You cannot uh, skirt around them. They're true. One of the laws that we're experiencing now is a law of gravity. It's a, just a true law. If you don't believe it, Jump off the building, see what happens. It's a law. You cannot skirt around it. It is the true law. Same thing with these other laws. They're true. Now, the, the universe is built upon these laws, and who put them in place? God put them in place. The Bible doesn't confirm all these laws, but it supports a lot of these laws. There's a couple that the, that the Bible does support. Look at Job up on the screen. Job chapter 26, verse 7. It says, He spreads out on the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. That in the book of Job, it tells us that the, that the world is suspended, that for centuries, scientists didn't know that, that it was suspended in space. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, says he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Again, for centuries, we didn't know that the earth was round. It was, we, we thought it was flat. Isaiah is that, says the world is a sphere. Even Columbus, when he sets sail, he sees the horizon. He thinks, man, are we going to make it or are we going to drop off? We thought the earth was flat. But the Bible says that the earth was a sphere. So from time to time, God shows that he is in charge. He is the person that set these things in place. We can look at the science and we say, okay, yeah, we, we believe that. There, there are laws in place, and it's true. You can't bicker them. You can't skirt around them. You can't excuse them away. They're true. They're, they're, there's true laws. Just like physical laws, there's moral laws that are seen as, as being true. You, you just can't fight against them. They're moral laws. God put them in place. If God says, okay, we're going to have these physical laws, and they're true, and he says we're going to ha have these moral laws, and what we say is sometimes, well, I, I don't want to live by those moral laws. Well, if the physical laws are true, the moral laws are true because God is consistent. God cannot change his mind saying, okay, well, we can do this, we'll do this. No, God says I'm going to set these laws up in place, and they're consistent. So we have physical laws, we have moral laws that we can either, again, say, yeah, I believe it, I trust it, I, I accept it, or you can say, no, nah, I don't want to, which doesn't make any sense. Again, if you go up on the top of the building, you say, I don't believe in gravity. Jump off. It's going to grab hold. There's nothing you can do about it. Same thing is true with moral laws. And there's a lot of people in this world that tells us now, scholars will tell us that, you know, uh, there's no moral absolutes. You can do whatever you want to do. You can drink whatever you want to drink. You can smoke whatever you want to smoke. You want to pop the pills, whatever pop you want to pop. You can sleep with whoever you want to sleep with. You can live however you want to live. You can do all those kind of things, and they're telling you, that, hey, there's no moral absolutes, and God's saying there is moral absolutes. Absolutely. 
And it's these same people that will say, if you go to them and say, hey, let's do this, let's get in a car and we'll drive 100 miles an hour into a brick wall. And they'll go, well, I don't want to do that. Well, they accept the physical law, but they want to accept, accept the moral law because it fits. Most of us in this room, we're kind of in that situation that we'll pick and choose the physical laws that we go, okay, well, I believe that, I trust that. But yet when we look at the moral laws, we'll go, well, I don't want to live that. I don't want to believe that. The whole time God is saying, okay, you can't pick and choose. Either you're going to do it or you're not going to do it. Your choice. They're all the truth. You can't skirt around them. They're the true laws. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Let me recap what's going on in the book of Galatians. Paul's talking to this church, and the church has been built, and it's growing, and people are coming, but there's starting to, some bad things happening, is that when the church is growing, there's people that started infiltrating into the church and saying, well, you need to do this, and you need to do this. Here's one thing you need to do. You need to be circumcised to be saved, and then you've got to obey the, the Mosaic laws to remain saved. And they're infiltrating, and they're going in, and they're saying, you got, this is how you live your life, and you're supposed to do this, and it's all about self-effort. And Paul, the whole time through, through the book of Galatians, saying, look, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not about works. It's not about earning. It's all about Jesus. And he gets to the point in Romans chapter 6 that he's talking to a group of people. And here's the group of people that he's talking to. He's talking to people that are Christians that understand what Jesus did. He's talking to Christians that understand what Jesus did but are being slightly influenced to believe other things that it's based upon merit. He's talking to people who totally forgot about Jesus and have said, you know, I guess I do need to get circumcised and I guess I do need to obey the Mosaic law to have a relationship with Jesus. So he's talking to them and he's also talking to a group of people that don't know Jesus Christ at all. So his audience is very broad. And we get to Romans chapter 6 verse 7 he says this, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. That's a divine law that we cannot dispute. You, you reap what you sow. If you go to your garden and you plant corn, you're going to get corn out. You're not going to get a pineapple. doesn't make sense. That's not the way the law is built. doesn't make sense. It's not consistent. God is very consistent. And in one of his divine laws, he says, a man reaps what he sows. Well, man reaps what he sows. And then our life, we think, well, I don't want to believe that, or I do kind of believe that, and I want to kind of do my own thing, and I want to do my own thing, and hopefully I won't get any consequences. That's why he says at the beginning, don't be deceived. You can't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Because you can't believe what you want to believe and think life is going to be okay. You just can't. That's not God's law. And really, when he says don't be deceived, what he's saying is stop being deceived. Because in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. It says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you or who has fooled you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly betrayed as crucified. So there's a group of people that have infiltrated this church and saying, well, you know, y'all saw Jesus get crucified, but that's cool, but you still got to earn your way. And he said, don't be deceived. Stop being deceived in your life. So it begs the question, who deceives us? Who are those things or people that deceive us? Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? first person that can deceive you is yourself. That's called rationalizing. Have you ever rationalized something? You go, well, did he really mean that? Or really, can I not have that in my life? That's not really that bad in my life. I really, could I do? That's rationalizing. You're deceiving yourself. 1 John 1.8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 
James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, do what it says. That means you come to church and Dr. Rome does an amazing job teaching. He's a fabulous teaching pastor. He gets up and he teaches these truths. And this is how you deceive yourself and go, wow, that's a good lesson. And you go home and you don't apply it to your life. You're deceiving yourself. You read something in God's word and you go, wow, that's the truth right there. And you don't put it in your life. You're deceiving yourself. So who else deceives us? Number one, we do it. Another group that does it, Matthew 22, 24, verse 11, says this, And many false prophets will appear and deceive many. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many. As we get closer and closer to Jesus Christ coming back, there's going to be more and more people that are false prophets. Sad to say, this is so sad to say it. Being a pastor, it's hard, it's hard to say this, but it's sad to say. A lot of those dudes are pastors. A lot of pastors will get up in front of the church and say, this is how you should live, and this is how you should give. It's so sad to think about of churches looking to their, their members and saying, okay, it's important to give to the church and tithe, and it's so important, we want you to sign your house over to us as collateral that you're going to continually give. That happens. Isn't that crazy? And if they don't give each week and they're not consistent, guess who gets the house? The church. That's a deceiver. A lot of guys up on the stage are saying, hey, you need to live your life like this. They're deceivers. Can I tell you something? If, if you're not in a church, or if you're in a church that doesn't preach the Bible, run. Run away. If you've got friends in churches that, aren't focused, that, that their church isn't focused on God's word, drag them away. Because we're being deceived. People are being deceived. You get to the point where you start listening to a person and you go, wow, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. You find yourself totally away from what God wants you to be or who, you, who God wants you to be. God's word is so consistent. If you're around a group of people in Sunday school class, small group, uh, Bible studies at, at, at work or whatever, that if their focus isn't on God's word, run. Run. There's a lot of false people that are leading you astray. Man, think about today, like in, in the age that we live in, our phones is nothing but a conduit of deception. I mean, we're getting all this garbage in, and we'll search the Internet, and we'll look at these pictures, and we'll do this. It's all for a purpose to deceive us. So who's ultimately behind it? I think it's really clear in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 9, it says, The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So who's ultimately behind the, the deception? Satan himself. It would give, it, it, Satan would be so pleased within our church body that people go, well, you know what? Let, I, I got an idea. I read this in the article, and I think we ought to do this, and I'll add this to our life. That's deception. If, if ever anybody gets up on this stage and they're not referring to this, please run away. I don't want to be a part of a church that doesn't focus on God's word. Because it doesn't change. It doesn't change. It's a divine law that we can apply to our life. Galatians, back to Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. He implores us not to be deceived. And he also goes on and says, God cannot be mocked. God can't be mocked. Mocked is, the word for mocked is kind of the snarl or kind of go, this is the, this is the visual image, is go, Psh. That's That's mocked. That God can't be mocked. You can't look at God and God says, well, you need to do this in your life. That's what mocking is. There's a guy named Ernest Hemingway. You have heard that name? Ernest Hemingway, incredible author. 
lived a worldview life that he had nobody could tell him morally what to do. He could do what he wanted to do. He could live his life the way he wanted to live. He could please himself in any way. That was his worldview. He rewrote God, the Lord's Prayer. I don't know if you've read this before, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he says this. This is him quoting. Our nada, which is a Spanish word for nothing, our nada who art nada, nada be thy name, thy kingdom nada, thou will be nada, and it goes on, nada, 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 nada. Mocking God. So he stands up in front of a group, and he, 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 he says this in front of a group, and he goes later on, and, and they do an interview with him for a, a magazine, and they're sitting there talking about his worldview, and they're applauding him. He's like, man, that's so courageous of you that you could stand up, and you could just live your life the way you, you feel like you need to live it because that's your life, and you live it to the fullest. And he does this interview, and his life is in shambles. And 10 years to the day that the interview did, that happened, he puts a bullet through his brain. You cannot fool God. You cannot mock God. Because God is in charge. God is in control. If you watch TV at all, you'll see commercials of uh, alcohol commercials. And you always see the alcohol commercials with the person that has an alcohol, and they're so trim and fit, and they're beautiful, and they're just, uh, you know, just awesome, having a good time, and they're in their bikini, and they're in their whatever. They don't really sh- want to show you the true part. They don't show you the part of a child hiding in his bedroom because dad is drunk and wants to beat him up. They don't show you the part that a daughter is in tears because her mom is destroying their life. They don't show you that part. They want to be a deceptor. They want to show you that everything is great. You can indulge and have all you want. Everything is going to be wonderful. Life is going to be great. Isn't it just moronic to think that you can live your life no matter how you want to live it, make every decision you want to make, that, that everything is under the sun. You can do whatever you want to do. And you live your life for yourself, and you just gratify yourself. And you look at your life, and you go, I'm miserable. I'm miserable. You're not going to have a happy life when you're focusing on gratifying yourself. It's not going to happen. It's a God law. It's a divine law. He goes on, and he says, in, in 7, he says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. That is a divine law. You cannot debate it. It is true. It's echoed throughout the Bible in Job chapter 4, verse 8. It says this. It says, I have observed those who plow evil and those who sow trouble will reap it. It's been observed. It's a God law. If you want to, if you want to have trouble in your life, sow trouble. If you want to have anger in your life, sow anger. It's going to come out. Proverbs 1, 31 says this. They will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. You want to have a miserable life? Think of yourself, plow into yourself. Think of all the things that gratify yourself. That's going to come out. It's so amazing to think that you look at people that are Christians, they think, I can live whatever I want to live, and you know, I can do whatever I want to do. And they think they're so immune to the consequences that it will come. Like I've known several Christians that have uh, become alcoholics, and, and, and they die of cancer uh, or uh, liver issues. They weren't immune to poor decisions. I've known Christians that have gotten in a fight and they've got their teeth kicked out. Really. They weren't immune to the consequences of a poor decision. But we go through life and we kind of feel like we can mock God and deceive God and saying, okay, God, you know, I'm under grace. I'm under mercy. Everything is great. God, you'll forgive me. And grace is wonderful. And we kind of have the wrong view of what grace is. We'll get to that in a second. And the Greeks, they, they had a god named Nemesis. 
You've heard the word nemesis? They had a God named Nemesis. And Nemesis would follow a person around. And if you did anything wrong, not Nemesis would track you down, and eventually he'll catch up to you, and he'll pay you back the wrong. We also call that karma. Have you heard karma? We hear that a lot, karma. We feel like if we do good, good's going to come back. If we do bad, bad's going to come back. Both those things are a divine truth, except that they want to take God out of it. All those are true, but they want to take God out of it. God says, man, I, I set this stuff up. I've set this up to protect you. I've set this up to guide you, to discipline you, to look out for you. I've set this stuff up. It is true divine law. And we take it and we manipulate it. We change it. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. It says, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will, dis- will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life seems like there's two fields that we can plant in. We have one field of our flesh, or we can go over to this other field of the Spirit. God gives you free choice. You can choose whatever field you want to plant in. You can choose to plant in the flesh, or you can choose to plant in the Spirit. Totally your choice. But one of them leads to destruction, to pain, to agony. So what does it mean to sow to the flesh? And when you sow to your flesh, that means that You're self-gratifying. What does it feel good? I want to do what I want to do. I'm in charge. I I want to do this. So what grows? What grows in that field? Galatians 5, verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like hate to say this, but that describes a lot of people I know. A lot of people that I know that know Jesus. That there's anger in their life. There's idolatry in their life. There's sexual immorality in their life. Why do they have those in their life? Because they're so focused on the, their self of planting stuff in the flesh that I want to do the things that make me happy. I want to do things that make, bring me joy, make me feel good. That's what you're focusing on. If that's your focus, that's fine. God says that's fine. But there's going to become consequences. You can't skirt around that law. It is a true law. You can't skirt around it. So what are the benefits of sowing in the Spirit? Galatians 6, verse 8. It says, Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. You're going to reap pain. You're going to reap some consequences. But whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. I love that word eternal life. You focus on it, and I'm bad about this, okay? I'm going to throw myself under the bus. I'm bad about this. When I see the word eternal life, I think of quantity. I think of, I'm going to live forever. But that's not what he's saying right here. He's not saying quantity of life. He's saying quality of life. That if I sow in the Spirit, I'm going to have a quality of life. That I'm not going to have a destructive life. I'm going to have a quality of life. That when I die, yes, I'm going to have eternal life. I'm going to live forever in God's kingdom in heaven. But I can have quality life here. Christian, don't get so caught up focusing on what's to come that you forget about where you are. That I can have quality here, life. Here's the quality of life, Galatians 5, 22. If we plant in the field of the Spirit, here's the quality of life that we'll... We'll get. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's a pretty quality life, isn't it? Do you have anger in your life? Do you have resentment in your life? Do you just have this burning hatred in your life? Do you have this envy in your life? Do you have the sexual immorality in your life? I can tell you this. It's really e easy. Change fields. Change the field that you're planning in. If you want to have joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, start planting in the, the, the field of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 says, let, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. You might be thinking, man, I, I've been plugging along this life. I, I have been following Jesus, and I have been sowing the, the good seeds, and I've been really investing. I've been teaching a Sunday class for, for 12 years, and I've been serving in nursery for 15 years. And you're going, man, I'm just tired. When is the, when is the produce going to come? I've been planting and planting and planting and planting. When's the harvest going to come? I can tell you it's going to come in God's timing. But he tells you, don't be weary. Keep going. Keep going. But I'm tired. Keep going. But I'm frustrated. Keep going. I don't see any results from teaching a, a, a middle school class. Keep going. Keep pressing on. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Keep going. Keep going. I'm going to do a shameless plug right now, but it is so vitally important. And I want you to hear me out. If you're not involved in ministry, some capacity, you're missing out. God has called you to be involved. He said, listen, baby, I, I want to bless you, and I want to pour out my riches to you, and you're going to harvest these things, and you're going to have all these blessings. Well, we're not going to get them unless we're involved. We're not going to get them unless we're involved. Get involved somewhere. Sit in a small group room. Stand out here by the doors and shake hands to people. Sit in nursery and hold a baby. Find something to do. Because God wants to bless you. That's what he's called you to do. It is a divine law. He said, man, I want to pour my blessings out to you. Keep pressing on. I know you're tired. So keep pressing. It's the greatest example of Paul uh, with this. I mean, there's, I can't think of any other, other than Jesus. Paul is like, man, I want to preach the gospel. And I'm going to keep going. It doesn't matter if a shipwreck gets in my way. It doesn't matter if I get bitten by a snake. It doesn't matter if I get thrown in jail. You can beat me with all the lashes and, and, and canes, and you can throw rocks at me. You can ridicule me, but I'm going to keep going, and I'm going to keep pressing on because that's what, called, that's what God called me to do. And he gets to the end of his life, and I feel like God was like, good job, Paul. Keep going. Keep going. And I think Paul would have kept on going until something happened in his life. He got his head cut off. That's probably the only way to shut Paul up. Say, I'm going to keep going and I'm going to keep teaching and I'm going to keep preaching. There's no retirement in ministry. I, I've heard this so many times, and I did nurse, I served in nursery for 10 years and my time is done. Or I taught Sunday school for five years, my time is finished. Or I sung in the choir for 15 years and I'm tired, I'm, my time is done. There's no retirement age in ministry. You keep going. You're tired? Keep going. You're becoming weary? Keep going. Keep pressing on. And if you do, 
Scripture is very clear, you're going to reap a harvest. You're going to have a blessing. Maybe here on earth, maybe you won't see it, but definitely eternally. 2 John 1.8, it's one of the passages that goes along with this thought of keep pressing on, and it shows the importance of it. 2 John 1.8 says, Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be fully rewarded. Not, it's talking, not, talking about salvation. It's not talking about your relationship with Jesus, about losing it. We're going to have rewards if we're involving ourselves in ministry and doing what God's called us to do. We're going to re- receive rewards. But there's an opportunity, there's a chance that you may lose some of your rewards because you didn't keep going. Great example. Jesus hanging on the cross. He did amazing things while he was serving and loving on people, pointing them to an everlasting relationship, saying, man, I'm going to lay down my life for you. He healed people and took care of people, took, brought people back from the dead. And what was his reward? He got nailed to the cross. And as he's hanging on the cross, all of his core friends, his good buddies, take off running because they're scared. But he kept on going. He kept on going. Lastly, last verse, Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. You have an opportunity. Dr. Rome, a couple weeks ago, finished up a sermon series on evangelizing and how it's important that we go and spread the gospel. And we can focus on using your mouth and, and talking to people and your coworkers and your family members. But I love this passage is that I feel like that is the gospel, that we live it out. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people. That's people of color. That's people of different races. That's different people of different religions. That's different people that make us mad. It's different people who frustrate us. It's people at Walmart that take forever in the aisle. It's, it's, it's all that stuff. We have the opportunity to do good to all people. When you leave church today, when we close out here in a few minutes, you're going to have an opportunity to do good. When you walk out and you go to a restaurant for lunch, you're going to have an opportunity to do good. You've got an opportunity to treat the waiter or the waitress with respect and honor and love on them. You have an opportunity to do good. When you go to the gas station and the attendant inside is busy selling lottery tickets or whatever and you get frustrated, you go, I just want to pay for my gas, you have an opportunity to do good to all people, to everybody. Then he finishes up with this. If you're going to do good to anybody, do it especially good to those who belong to the family of believers. Guys, we're in this battle. I don't know if you've experienced it or not. If you haven't, it's going to come. We're in this battle, this spiritual battle, where we are hated by people because we love Jesus. Um, said at the, at the first service, Jeff, what's her name? Joy what? Yeah, Bay Hart? Yeah, Bay Hart. She gets up on The View. I don't know if anybody watches The View. She gets up on The View, and she's talking about uh, Vice President Pence, and he said, she said, if... If anybody's listening to God, 
then something's wrong with them mentally. And she was applauded by people. and Like, yes, that is right, sister. People are crazy if they listen to God or pray to God. And she was applauded by people. We as Christians have bullseyes on us because we love Jesus. And we're going to follow Jesus. And because we love Jesus and we're going to follow Jesus, people are going to hate us. And people are going to slander us. And people are going to ridicule us. And people are going to make up lies about us because we are followers of Jesus. And if we're in this battle together, the last thing, the last thing we need to do to each other is to critique each other. We have this saying around here is that we want it always to be stumbling forward. That, we, that life isn't always easy and we're going to mess up, but as long as we're stumbling forward, we're, we're having a successful Christian walk in our, in our life. It's that we're stumbling forward. Dude, the last thing that we need is for somebody who professes to be a brother and sister in Jesus Christ is to get in that path and say, I'm going to become a roadblock. If you're going to do good to anybody, do good with people in this room that love Jesus. If you're going to do good to anybody, love on the people that are in your small group that love Jesus. Because we need each other. We have to have the support of each other. So God sets up these laws, these divine laws. And this morning you can say, well... I, can, I really want to do my own thing. That's fine. That's cool. God never comes down and says, I'm going to force you to do something. You can make your free choice. You can live your life however you want to live it. Totally your choice. You can say, I just want to live under grace, and I can do whatever I want to do. That's fine. But I feel like this scripture right here intersects with Jesus. That we want to focus on the grace and mercy, and we think... Ah, grace and mercy, I can continue sinning, I can do whatever I want to do, because the, the cross has uh, cured everything, and, and, and Jesus has set me free, and I have this grace and mercy. The grace and mercy that we're going to experience is through Jesus. That I, I'm not going to reap what I sow here on earth uh, eternally. I'm not going to reap what I sow here eternally. I'm going to reap what Jesus sowed. Do you understand that? I'm going to reap what Jesus sowed. Jesus said, I love you, Daryl, so much that I'm willing to lay down my life for you. I'm going to die for you as a sacrifice for your sins. I'm going to reap what Jesus did. He sowed it. But we go through life and we think, I can live however I want to live. Many churches, unfortunately, are saying that to their people. You can live however you want to live. God's still going to love you. That's true. God's still going to show mercy to you. That's true. God's grace is great. That's true. But you're still going to face the consequences. That's just a divine law. We can't get around that. That's the law that God put into place. Our prayer for this church is that we would be a church that says, God, I am in. I'm in. Lead me. Guide me. I want you to direct me. I want to plant in the field of the Spirit. I've planted in the field of the flesh, the self-gratifying, what feels good, what tastes good, what does all that kind of stuff. We've been there. We've done that. That leads to destruction. Our prayer for this church is we've had people that says, I've been there. That leads to destruction. I have the pain. I have the scars to prove it. I want to plant in the field of the Spirit. And when we have that, you're going to have joy. You're going to be patient. You're going to be kind. You're going to be loving. 
you're going to care for people. And you're, every opportunity that you have, you're going to want to show good. That's what Jesus has called us to do, to be an influence in this community. That's what he's called us. You can partner with that. But it starts with your decision. You can choose to do whatever you want to do. But know that consequences will come. Let's pray.